Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Slay Tanning Vercast. I'm Mo from France and to my west, broadcasting from the flame generating chamber in Tokyo, is Dr. Lequescence. How are you doing, Doc? I'm very well. Um, as usual, I, 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 I like to impart a bit of secret information uh, when, when, when I report from my adventure of the week. Mm. Um, I'm sure um, many listeners would have guessed this already. The flame generating chamber is, in fact, the sixth of the seven entrances to hell. I guess there was some kind of diabolic nature to it. I, I, I just couldn't quite put my finger on what it was. Well, I mean, um, as everyone knows, uh, there's one under that creaky old hotel in um, in the swamps in Louisiana, um, mm-hmm. uh, which features in, uh, in 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 the Beyond. Oh yes, uh, of course, yeah. There's one one uh, in uh, Sunnyvale, of course. Sunnydale, sorry, Sunnydale. Yes, there is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one in the basement of that apartment building in um, uh, in New York, uh, the mm-hmm. one that appears in Inferno. Mm-hmm. I think there's one in that cinema in Italy in a uh, Lamb. Berto Barber's Demons. <laughs> well, we've got to keep our game high here. Um, you know, I mean, we, 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 we're going from, you know, like the Beyond and Inferno, the Vampire Slayer. You know, we, we've, we've got to keep our game strong and keep the references to classic. So, yeah, Demons is an absolutely brilliant one to bring up. Um, there is one, um, as everyone knows, somewhere uh, along Lye High Street, um, which um, it's not so much anymore, but it, 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 it used to be like marked by um, those buildings that had a sort of um, mimetic representation of a, a, a bowl with some flames coming out of it. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's where um, the Spice of Life Curry House get their vindaloo sauce from. Well, I, I think that's where all of the uh, bolter yeah. places lie. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, for people that uh, don't know, for people that don't know, Lye is a small town in the West Midlands, which is incredibly famous for seemingly consisting only of curry houses. It, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful place. Yeah, and um, for such a small town, it's a candidate for actually being the birthplace of a whole entire ethnic cuisine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Balti food is, of course, found nowhere on the actual Asian subcontinent. <laughs> It's true. Um, and uh, I, I believe the three candidates for its birthplace are Bradford, mm-hmm. um, Sparkbrook and Lyon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. Yes. I, think, I think the big fight is between Birmingham and Bradford, isn't it? I think they're the big hitters. The, the, the claim, the claim ownership. Yeah. Um, so um, I would love to get someone out there to verify this for me. Um, apparently in Karachi, um, it is possible to to, to find um, back import authentic Birmingham Balti houses. Oh yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So like British style curry, basically. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a great um, YouTube channel which I, anybody interested in curry, I recommend you check it out. Um, it's called Al's Kitchen, and if you follow his recipe, you can at home make pretty high standard authentic. British Indian restaurant style curry. It's great. Yeah, um, I believe that was the place you directed me to get the correct recipe for base gravy, wasn't it? Exactly correct. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. 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 So this man shows you how to make the, the, the base gravy from which you can make pretty much all of your curries. But the, and then he also shows you how to use that base gravy to produce the individual dishes. The man is 
a genuine legend of our times. I know that word is oft overused, but in this case, it is totally valid. Um, before, before we move off the fascinating but not strictly relevant subject of curry, um, <laughs> I, I, I need to introduce you to a charming expression, uh, which if, if you haven't heard it before, you probably have. I was listening to Radio 4 a while ago on mm. this very subject, mm. and some sniffy food critic um, came out, as, as, as you can probably guess, oh, well, you do realise that uh, Balti isn't actually authentic Indian food. And his, his, his interculator, um, who was a chap who owns four or five Balti restaurants in Sparkbrook, um, said, um, well, it's not Indian of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got nothing to do with the country of India. Um, it's um, an authentic ethnic cuisine um, originated by the expatriate Bangladeshi population of the United Kingdom, um, or um, as we call it, Angladeshi food. And I thought oh, that, that was delightful. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, that's, a, yeah. that's a great one. I really like that. But it's not unique, is it? This, this idea of um, you know ethnic cuisines developing in in the um, the would it be of the immigrant population? Um, you know, for, I'm, I'm thinking of you know burritos in California, for example. You know, the, yeah, I, well, I mean. I think um, I think you'll find Brooklyn has as much right to claim to be the birthplace as pe- of pizza as anywhere in Italy does. Yeah, sure, as Naples does. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, lads and gentlemen, if there's a little bit of background noise, I do apologise. We're currently in the middle of a, a blistering heat wave in Britain. Um, I simply can't close my windows. We, we're just going to have to put up with it for, for this episode, I think, guys. Um, do you want a quick video game update, Doc? That'd be great. Yeah. Um, I'm playing... Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. Have you, have you ever heard of Crash Bandicoot, Doc? I'm afraid I haven't. Um, well, you, would you like to tell me about it? So Crash Bandicoot was a, a, a PS1 classic. There were three um, games made in total uh, for the PS1. Well, three proper games. I think there were a bunch of kind of duff add-ons after that, but, but, but three that people take seriously. Um, it's been remastered for the modern age, so it looks much better. They have not touched the gameplay at all, which you, which I always approve of. It's a 3D platformer. Um, at the time, totally cutting edge. Um, we'd never seen anything quite like it. And it, at the time, it made you know the likes of Sonic and Mario look like real relics of the past. Um, it is hard as nails um, and really demonstrative of of how forgiving modern games are. Um, you know, the, the, this this takes no prisoners. Um, if you make a mistake, you fuck up, well, you know, th- th- that's your problem. It doesn't hold your hand in any way. Um, totally addictive. Cutesy graphics, which kind of belie the intensely furious difficulty. Um, <laughs> you've got precision platforming, almost pixel perfect at times. You, know, you have to be that precise. Um, for full completion, only the bravest of souls need apply. It's an absolute cracker but it'll have you it'll have you tearing your hair out which is why i'm fully bald today doc um it's excellent 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 now do you find games more do you like them better when they're difficult like uh, it it depends it, it it depends really um i like i, I do like difficult platformers because I, I you know there, there's like a skill level to it that gives you a sense of accomplishment when you when you finish it um I like difficult shooters as well, kind of for the same reason. Um, but then there's other kind of games. 
I don't I don't like really difficult racing games. They just frustrate me. So it really does depend on the on the genre. Really, it's hard to define, isn't it? You know, it, does it really really frustrate you to the point that you want to throw the controller at the wall? I don't enjoy that feeling. Um, you know, if and if I get to that point, I put it down. Um, but if it if it challenge, I think the thing is, Doc, if it feels fair, then I don't mind the difficulty. But if it feels cheap and like un, unjustly difficult, um, then, then I find that deeply frustrating. Um, right. So I suppose my analogy would be: um, it's easy, it's easier to make a golf course that's difficult to play. You just don't maintain the fucking thing. Well, that's right. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, I, I said I like difficult shooters, but there, there, there's a really famous example where I think it's called, um, mm, I have to double check this, but I, I think it's one of the, I think it's, a, I think it's one of the early Medal of Honor games. Um, and the way that the developers chose to increase the difficulty was when you put it on the hardest setting, you know, literally from the beginning of the game, all of the enemy antagonists are just spamming you with grenades nonstop. Um, right. and, and that's not fun. That's just tedious. Um, no, so, okay. you know, it, uh, for, for, for a game to be very difficult and still engaging for me, I think the developers just need to be a bit smarter. That's just a cheap trick, basically. You know, that any, anybody, it, it requires no thought on the part yeah. of so, um, I, I believe I remember this criticism from um, long ago that the, 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 the cheap way to increase the difficulty setting was just to um, make everything go faster. Well, you can do, yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. You, you know, you can increase the speed and the other tricks that they'll do, you know, you're, you, you have less health, the enemies have more health, they you take more damage, they take less damage, things like this, you know, and it's just a balancing act really as, as to whether they pull it off effectively um and, and and just because i find you know like a racing game or that shooter frustrating maybe there's maybe there's maniacs out there that, that like that kind of frustration i'm sure there are you know it's, it's it's down to the individual no corrections this time doc so it's topic time uh give me a number sir between one and seven please oh i've just lost two. my place number two um I think you might, you might like this one, Doc. Band names. Um, good band names, bad na band names. How do they get chosen? Do they only seem silly until the band gets famous? Any thoughts on that, that kind of area? Oh, uh, you're right. I do like this one. Uh -huh. I thought you might. Um, we had a little chat last week about um, my fondness for goat metal, and honestly, if you put if you put the word goat in anything, then I, 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 I will just like it. Mm. And the truth is, I'll probably I, I'm probably more inclined to listen to your band if your band name has the word goat in it. <laughs> um, time was I was a massive sucker for um, any band with a name that included references to. Um, nuclear weapons, um, or the end of the world. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, honestly, if you had called your band Nuclear Apocalypse, I would have <laughs> listened to it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> unfortunately, um, listening to t 
too many terrible, terrible, tedious, generic thrash bands put yeah. me off that one really quickly. Yeah, there, there are a bunch, I'm sure. But there, there's a really high quality one, though, that falls into your criteria, which is, of course, the mighty Nuclear Assault, who are marvellous. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, and honestly, um, a, a bit of a revisionist opinion. Um, I won't deny this is a, a revisionist opinion based on popular opinion. I have gone along with the recent cri uh, critical rehabilitation of Megadeth. I don't oh, think yes. Megadeth are really as terrible as I did when I was 14. Mm -hmm. But uh, so what, what band names are likely to put me off? Yeah, I was, that, that, I was um, going to say, that's, that's the next thing, is that we, we, we've, we've thought about the good names. What, what about the bad ones? Um, these days, without even having heard the band or knowing anything about them, if you pick a name that is egregiously Scandinavian. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. um, so, if you call your band Blaskrigathalach, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jotsbergen, something like that. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> then, I, I, I will just not be very interested in listening to your band. Sure. But what, um, what, what about outside of Metal Doc? We can expand it, can't oh, we? Oh, Yeah. Don't, uh, don't do wacky. Don't mm. wacky mm. ever. Mm -hmm. um, don't give your band a name. And I, I know we said not metal. Don't give your band a name that makes, to quote Halloween, makes people realise that you are a bunch of funny assholes. Oh, yes, sure. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't ever do that. Mm -hmm. um, don't call yourself the Flying Frog Brigade. Yes. Mm -hmm. One that always gets uh, under my skin is Madness. That that name because that, you know that's them trying to suggest that they're they're kind of crazy guys, aren't they? Get fuck sugs. Yeah, uh, they're fun. They're wacky. Yeah. Uh, they're a good time to hang out with. Um, yeah. Up until they have one too many and start putting the boot in. That's right. So yeah, especially if you haven't got white skin. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Um, any any silly names of bands that you know? The, the example I'll give would be. Um, Maybe we're going to think of the Arctic Monkeys. You know, it, it's a ridiculous name for a band, but we, you know, we because of their success and just like the ubiquitous nature that successful bands attain in society, we kind of we forget about that, don't we? We just kind of accept, well, that's what they're called, um, and it just becomes their name. Um, the first time I heard that name, it just sounded focus grouped to hell to me. Oh, really? Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, it just sounded like um, the marketing department. Um, had had a meeting and hired some advertising consultants and mm -hmm. um, they, 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 because they decided they were going to invent um, a quote-unquote indie band to market the fuck out of, sure. um, they uh, put post-it notes with the names of about 50 or 60 other indie bands. Uh, and you know, um, what should we do? Um, we'll we'll um, A geographical location somewhere in the world. Uh, that's a good place to start. And um, uh, an acute animal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see what we can do with that. Yeah. Um, that fucking name just sounded focus group to help. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, the, the, there, are, there are plenty of silly names like that. Um, uh, Ad, Adam and the Ants would be an example, I can, you know, that, that I would come up with. You know, a, a totally ridiculous name. But we, we, we just accept it, don't we, Doc? Um, yeah, and I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> 
I think you'll find that name also came out of a focus group, although it was probably a focus group consisting of Malcolm McLaren um, and Vivian Westwood um, and their dealer. Yeah, sure. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> after snorting um, some, some, some sherbet. When, whenever I hear the, 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 the egregiously weird or the egregiously wacky name, mm. um, I, 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 just, I just can't help but think there's a, mar- the, 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 there's a bit too much involvement from the, um, uh, the marketing department. Um, and the other ones that put me off, once again, nothing to do with metal, um, are the ones that sound egregiously, blandly suburban. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if this band exists, um, although I'm pretty sure they must have done. I'm pretty sure they must have been signed to either Cherry Red or Sherry Records at some point in the late 80s. Um, you know, uh, something like um, Concrete Shopping Centre. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, 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 there's one that I've heard recently. Is it, is it called Two Door Cinema Club? That, that, that irritates me. Well, that just sounds a fucking arch, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum. Even though, even though I, I like a couple of their tracks, that that name pisses me off. Um, what's another one? Um, Alpaca Sports. Oh, there we go. Yeah, there is uh, one that could fall into this trap, but I I actually like it for kind of the um almost like the inflammatory nature of it and the you know up yours nature of it, and that's Pet Shop Boys. You know that that could be you know a bit wacky but but it is them just kind of lampooning those ridiculous kind of you know ridiculous stories generally coming from you know the homophobic corner of society suggesting that all gay men like to stick furry animals up their bottoms yeah uh, absolutely um and the funny thing about that is that there's there's no way that wasn't conscious either because if if i've got this right um mr Lowe was working for an advertising agency at the time and um, sure. mr tennant was the journalist for smash hits at the time uh-huh. and i mean i i think um i think in picking i think in picking that name like mocking excessively sincere indie band foibles was probably a big, big part of that. Mm. Um, I'll tell you, um, I've just come up with an example. Um, it's a name I absolutely hate and it fits squarely into this category, but it belongs to a band who literally couldn't be more down for life and um, and, and, and more for real. Um, and that's Echo and the Bunnymen. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't um, really know much about those guys, but every time people talk about them, they talk about them in, in, in glowing praise. Well, I'll put it this way. Um, I read an article once, um, written, I believe, in about 1984, um, and it said three years ago, um, the big question was, um, who was going to be the biggest band in the world? Joy Division, Echo and the Burning Man, or U2? Okay. Mm. So the, 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 they're very much from, from, from that stable. They're very much from the stable of um, none more credible northern oblique stroke provincial. Um, is Liverpool a small town? I, I, I don't think Liverpool is a small town. Um, in any case, provincial. Provincial, certainly. Yeah. Um, post-punk. I mean, I, I don't know why they chose such a shit name for their band, mm. um, but it, it's, it's, one of the, it, it's, it's one of those names that really gets on my nerves, and I, I think they might have been the first. To, um, no, there were, there were quite a few post-punk bands who did that, and oddly enough, I end up liking most of the bands um, uh, desperate bicycles. Oh yes. Uh, um, 
I know why they chose those names. They chose those names to be as anti-glamour and anti-aspirational mm-hmm. and anti-Thatcher work ethic um, as they could possibly think. So as, as blandly suburban and, um, oh, take no notes of us, we're not important. Mm. Uh, mm. Um, you know, currently I have nothing to see here. Uh, that um, carried on into the nineties, and if we think about like the indie, the indie band names in the nineties, of course the two big ones would be Blur and Oasis. You know, I mean, pretty, pretty bland name for names for bands, really. And it, and even Oasis's original name, which I think was Pulse, is not exactly uh, like screaming dynamism, is it? Um, no, but they look good on t-shirts. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's a good. They, they both make good logos, don't they? Yeah, um, it, it's 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 a small number of letters. The letters have pleasing shapes. Sure. Uh, on a photocopied A4 poster, posted up um, in a subway next to a dozen other A4 photo- photocopy posters, mm. um, you can get your band name nice and big, and you and, and people can spot it a mile off. Yeah, that's a good point. Hey, Doc, I think we've got quite a big track to talk about today. So, what do you reckon? Should we get into it? I think we should. Don't forget, guys, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slatanicvercast at gmail.com. Um, let's, let's get into the tune. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. Here we're going to play the track. As usual, you know how it works by now, guys. Today's track, of course, is the first album from Slayer's fourth album, South of Heaven. And the track is, is of course, also entitled South of Heaven. Let's go. intro isn't it quite the intro well very much in every meaningful way this is where my slayer starts yeah mm-hmm. um, looking back in history i can't remember whether i heard this album or the next album first yeah. mm-hmm. it was one of the two um they're the ones i keep coming back to um and everything that i historically like and love and adore about slayer starts with this album um, and a good 40% of that is in this track. Okay. So um, listen to that intro. It, it's got everything about Slayer that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a definitive example of it's a guitar part that anyone can learn the day they get their first instrument mm-hmm. with half an hour of practice. Yeah. Um, but it's the kind of part that very, very few people in the world have ever proved that they've been able to write. Sure. Well, I mean, that, that, that's the big difference, isn't it? You know, every, everybody yeah. can play um, Teen Spirits. Can you write it, motherfuckers? One guitar uh, playing a very simple guitar part and then another guitar playing a very simple contrapunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, really hard um, to get anything as evocative and emotive and morbid mm. as that. Mm. And, and, and it is, you know, that, that dread phrase... You know, that, that statement of intent, isn't it, where they're, they're almost saying, you know, remember that last album where, where we pushed thrash to the limits, you know, in terms of speed and stripping everything down. 
you know, guess what, guys? We're going to do the opposite this time. It's quite interesting. It's, it's quite a provocative opening um, few seconds, 30 seconds or so, which is suitable because it's quite a provocative opening track when you consider, you know, the, the material on their previous album. But this is, the, this is their fifth significant release, if you mm-hmm. include Haunting the Chapel. Yeah, good point. Their fifth significant release, and they, even up until this point, they've never repeated themselves. They've no. always done something different. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So it would only be surprising and disappointing to you if you expected more of the same. And mm. the thing to bear in mind is, um, I think there were probably... 10,000 knockoffs of Rain and Blood by the time this album came out. Mm, mm. Yeah, an interesting thing to point out, when they play this live, um, they do not play that first 30 seconds or so that we've just heard. That's played kind of as a backing track, you know, just through the the PA from a recording. Um, And it's not until, as we're about to hear, when Dave kicks in, you know the drums kick in, and they've kind of dropped the they drop the the um the what's the word I want that I want to look for here um, the tone or the pitch. If you go from an A string to an E string, what would you what would you say? Uh, well, the key, wouldn't it? Drop the okay. So they change the key, to, you know, and drop it down. Um, that's the moment when live the band actually start playing. Up until that moment, it's just a recording. Um, I wonder why they do that. What's your take on that, Doc? What, 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 why are they doing that? Because they can clearly play it. Yeah. Um, I don't... I, I, you were with me at Rock City, weren't you? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Because um, they, they ran that intro for a long time. And mm. I think the reason they use a tape is so they can run it for as long as they want. And they can run the intro for the correct length of time to make sure that the entire fucking venue fills up with the smoke machine. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder. I mean, that's a good point. I wondered if it was just to ensure that they kept the, that, that they kept the tempo at you know a, at, a, at a relatively slow pace. You know, you've got to imagine if you're playing live in front of you know whatever five thousand people, um, you know the adrenaline's coursing through your veins. And it would be very easy to play this track too fast. So I, d- I wondered if they, if they were doing it as kind of a, you know, like a control for themselves to make sure they keep the brakes on. So Dave knows at what pace to come in. Big monster band to do this. Mm. Um, if you ever seen a recording of The Who doing Don't Get Fooled Again. Yeah. Live. Um, like either on a television programme or uh, in a concert appearance. Um, they have keyboards on tape. Um, to do the introduction, and mm-hmm. the drummer um, has a pair of headphones um, through which he's apparently listening to a click track. Sure, yeah. So, um, so, so the, maybe, the, maybe there's something in my theory there. Um, I don't know for yeah. sure. But I, I tell you what, he looks absolutely phenomenal live. Any, anybody who's never seen them live or, or not watched them perform this live on YouTube or something, go, go and check it out because, and, and make sure you pick a, a concert that's indoors and it's nice and dark. Because that you know that music's playing, and generally the stage is pitch black, um, and it's as Dave kind of hits the hits the hits the drums to start with, and, and the key drops. Tom, Kerry, and Jeff all kind of emerge from the darkness as one. It's, it looks absolutely it's choreographed to fuck. It looks brilliant. 
it, it, it's 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 the legendary Slayer stage opening, isn't it? It is. It's absolutely great. Um, they, they 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 literally they actually look like demons coming out of hell. That's right. Yeah. Let, let, let's press on. Dave is going absolutely fucking wild, isn't he, in this? Yeah. Um, I have a question for you, which you may or may not be able to answer, or <laughs> you may even be able to refute the, the correct, the, to refute the statement that's inferred in my question. Um, up until quite recently, metal um, of any kind was never particularly respected as a musician's medium. Mm -hmm. um, so... Bass player magazine would occasionally run an interview with Steve Harris. Um, but outside of the Shredders, outside of your, 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 your Yingui um, and your Eddie. Yeah, and your voice. Um, yeah. Um, I don't ever recall any form of extreme metal um, even getting the remotest level of attention, even so much as, well, we don't like this music, but my God, this X is really really good yeah um, I, no, 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 I think you're right yeah i think you had to go to um you know you like you like to terrorize a magazine i mean you know and, and to a certain extent metal hammer i mean maybe kerrang but i'm not so sure about that um to get any kind of acceptance are, of the actual level of skill of the playing yeah those are music magazines um i'm specifically talking about musicians magazines oh i see okay uh, like so, guitar world or uh, something yeah, uh, I mean, um, I believe at the time this record came out, um, there was at least one magazine that sold in normal newsagents, um, <laughs> probably, called, probably called Drums and Drumming or something like that. Yeah. None of these magazines had um, the slightest time of day for any metal drummer, even though it was cock-obvious to me that um, metal drummers were really fucking good. Yeah, no, 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 you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I referenced Guitar World, and from time to time I would... You know, pick it up in the. I would never buy it, but I'd pick it up from time to time in the news agents just to have a gander. You know, at, at who they considered to be excellent musicians, and it, and it was it, you know it would be the, the you know the usual the usual crew, your Hendrix, your Clapton's, people like that. Um, but yeah, yeah, nary nary a mention of uh, Jeff Hanneman, that's for sure. No, um, I, I mean. Um, at this time, um, who would have been the the, the, the guitar heroes in, um, in in Guitarist magazine? Um, I think I think Slash used to get mentioned once or twice. Oh yes, that's true. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that one. Which is interesting for me because I've never. Um, I think he writes cracking tunes, but mm. I never thought of Slash as being a particularly great guitarist. I don't think he's ever made claims to be a particularly great guitarist, has he? Well, I don't think he's spoken about himself in those kind of terms, but I think it's undoubted that, you know, the boy can play. Um, you know, there's complexity to what he's playing there. Um, and, you know, and, and along with, you know, kind of the, the excellent melodic nature of, of those complicated riffs. Yeah, but I mean, when, when I think of Slash guitar parts, I think of, I think of his tunes and not his solos. 
Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I just did really as well, didn't I? There by mentioning the melody. Yeah, um, I think he writes great tunes, but I mean, um, I, I don't think his use of rhythm or his use of counterpoint or his 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 use of harmony or anything like that is particularly original. And no, because he. he, he oh, sorry, sorry, that. Doc. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Please continue, sir. No, uh, but um, and I don't ever recall him saying it was either. Mm, no, no. It, 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 by and large, he's pretty much just like a, a a classic rock and roll guitarist, isn't he? He's not reinventing the wheel. He just happens to have a, a, a fine tune for a, mel- a a fine ear for a melody. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think of him, and um, I believe slash would be flattered to hear me say this. I think of him as an ex Gen Keith Richards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's, uh, he's he's a solid rhythm guitar player in the rock and roll idiom. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think times are changing, though. You know, I think over the last ten years there has been kind of a, a bit of um, revision, and I think people are more and more accepting of the fact that you know these motherfuckers really can play. Yeah, um, I first noticed this when um, Guitar World magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, um, did a black metal special issue in about 1996. Oh, blimey, I'm very surprised by that. Um, please do bear in mind, none of the bands they, of the bands they picked, they were all American. There was maybe one British and one German band, but mm-hmm. they were basically American. Um, none of them, except for Cradle of Filth, fulfilled my even one of my criteria for being black metal. Um, but that was the point where I saw in print basically um, music magazine targeted at musicians that was fully embracing underground metal. Mm. Um, they weren't actually, but they said they were, and that was the next best thing. Can you remember any of the bands, Doc, just off the top of your head? Um, no, um, because they were all American to begin with. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if I read an interview with a black metal band, um, I want to hear them talking about Satanism and misanthropy and things like that. And, 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 you, I, and you want to hear a Scandinavian accent, don't you? Yeah. Um, and, you know, all of these people were talking about the, uh, the special tunings they used and, um, uh, you know, how uh, you couldn't possibly get a, a good black metal sound um, unless you've got an authentic Les Paul made from real maple wood. Oh, my God. Euronymous uh, would be absolutely furious. Well, um, this is what I mean about none of those people even came close to counting as black metal, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that, that, uh, that's anti. That, that that kind of thought process and logic is utterly antithetical to the whole movement, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in those days, at least, to be true black metal, um, what guitar you had um, was completely irrelevant. Um, I think probably most black metal musicians said like the, the, the best musical instrument you could have would be uh, a piece of the true crucifix strung with barbed wire and thorns. <laughs> yeah, very, very good, Doc. Very good. Let, let's move on. Listen to me. 
just listen to him go, Doc. You know, the, 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 these fills, you know, it's like every every three, every three or four bars, you know, Dave is just unleashing with, a, a, you know, a unique fill that he plays at no other point in the song. Um, he reproduces it live absolutely to precision. Um, for me, Dave's the star of the show in this track. Um, yeah, and I think that's how you're supposed to read it as well. Um, having established the killer riff, up until this point in the track, the rest of the musicians don't feel the need to go much beyond that. Um, they've got a killer, um, and they're almost allowing this part of the song to, um, to function as the incidental music for the opening of a particularly gruesome Italian zombie film or something like that. Mm. And the, the the drums played the part of the action on screen. Um, so effectively the guitars and the bass are, are the diagenic incidental music. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the drums are the dynamic char- uh, characters. Um, mm-hmm. The drums are the camera, the drums are the things that move and, and, and propel the action forward at this point in the song. Yeah, it, it, the drums are giving the impetus here, aren't they? You know, because, you know, truthfully, that riff is, is, is so simplistic. You know, it's so easy. Uh, very, very effective, of course, but but dead easy. There's no there's no complexity or technicality here. They're, they're, they're just chilling out, basically, and letting Dave get on with it. Another hallmark of this album, I think, is after the balls-out overdrive and almost too many ideas in the previous album, this is the one where their confidence gets even more. Um, as a band, they become even better as they learn to slow down and spread out mm-hmm. and leave some space. Mm-hmm. When we get back to listen to the song, listen to how much space there is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they, they're just hanging chords left, right and centre, aren't they? And there are big voids in the frequency spectrum as well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so good at that as you, Doc. So can, can, you, can you expand for us? The one guitar... Um, is hogging a lot of the bottom end. The other guitar is, ha- is, is, is hogging a lot of the top end. There's right. almost no middle um, in the mix. Sure. And obviously, they don't push this to the stupid extremes that Bolt Thrower will mm-hmm. go on to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, uh, Bolt Thrower production has got no middle at all. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I actually think they took an angle grinder and removed all of the frets between the third and the 18th off their instruments. <laughs> yeah, just, just absolutely refused to touch them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, um, the one guitarist pushed his tone knob all the way down and glued it in place. The other guitarist pushed his tone knob all the way up and glued it in place. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Let's um, see what happens next. Here we go. Because, we, you know, anybody who's not heard this track but know a bit about Slayer might be expecting this suddenly to... You know, to turn into a, into into a a, a, a a speed fest, but I don't think it's going to happen, Doc. Let's see. <laughs> It sounds faster, but, you know, all that's really happened is Dave's doubled up. You know, the actual guitar, the guitars and bass are playing exactly the same riff at exactly the same speed. But, the, you know, the doubling up does give that uh, impression of, of, of extra pace. Yeah. Um, um, 
as I would have said when I listened to this album for the first time, twice as many notes. Yeah, twice as many notes, yeah. <laughs> of Dave you know ev- pretty much everything is is, is really really simple e- even on to on even down to the chorus you know just that repetition of that of that line four times I can't think of another Slayer track where they do that where they just kind of repeat the same line four times because you know that very often I find that a bit a bit frustrating and it, it feels a little bit lazy Maiden are guilty of it on on several occasions I'm thinking of something like Heaven Can Wait you know where he, where where Bruce just repeats that line four times, and it you know it it doesn't really feel very satisfactory. I think it worked worked great here, but it is it is atypical for Slayer. Yeah, uh, so a couple of comments on that. Um, one of those agree to differ moments because those are some of my favourite bits in Iron Maiden. Mm. Um, the um, the final section of "Hallowed Be Thy Name." Sure. Um, which is precisely what you've just described, and that's one of my favourite minute and a half of Iron Maiden ever. Mm, mm. Um, repetition has never bothered me. Um, as you know, I'm not particularly a, a lyrics person anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, because we got into music along slightly different paths, um, I think this will go a long way to explaining a lot of our agree-to-differ sure. moments. Yeah. The path I took... I think squared me away a lot more um, to deal with this album mm. than any other Slayer album. Um, the path I took getting into music in the first place made me not mind any level of simplicity or repetition. I think that's one of the reasons that I reacted so very, very positively to this album on first hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a little surprised when I when it turned out that it's not a particularly big favourite of a lot of Slayer fans. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think it is quite divisive. You know, that there are people that think really, really think that this is like a proper sellout. I, I totally disagree, by the way. But, you know, those, those folks are out there. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this more Um and generally speaking, people who shout sellout, um, there are two reasons for shout. There are two reasons that make people shout sellout. One of them is changing anything at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a whole bunch of people for whom, if Slayer had done anything other than deliver um, Rain and Blood Part Two, Rain and Blood Part Three, Rain and Blood Part Four for the rest of their career, um, would have shouted sellout. 
But I um, think, hold that thought, Doc. I, I think those very same people, though, would, would by the time they got to Rainy Blood Part 3, then be bitching and griping about the fact that, you know, they, they were just keep, you know, they, they just kept doing the same stuff. I, I think there were just some people that, that claim to like a band, but then seem absolutely determined to, to, to kick them for whatever, whatever to, you know, decisions they make. Well, those are always... Um... Those are, I promise you, the people who would have got to 1990, because I, I knew at least two people like this. Mm. I was in sixth form, at least two people like this, who dropped Slayer like a hot brick and claimed that they'd always been into Nirvana as soon as 1991 came around. <laughs> okay, yeah. Mm. Um, Aren't they funny, those folks? Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I was literally at school with, 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 with two people who did precisely that. Mm. Uh, so you tell me who sells out then. <laughs> mm, mm, it's it's true. Uh, you know, another band that the I've got a particular fondness for are In Flames, and you know their, their early stuff is very very different to their later stuff. Um, and you know, cries of sellout always make me chuckle a little bit because I listen to their you know their more their more modern stuff, and I think, well, you know what? If this is selling out, I wish more bands would do it because I fucking love this. So selling out, it, it's. It's an expression I have been known to use. And I, I've probably used it for reasons that are as silly as um, the reasons that anyone else... I've, I've accused bands um, of selling out just because they got too popular. Sure, yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, and, I, I mean, that's that's one of the most pretentious and stuck-up and hate-filled <laughs> reasons to, to accuse a band. Uh, you know... Um, uh, they were much better when only me uh, uh, and, and, and two other people were into them. Because mm, um, mm. uh, honestly, um, those shows, uh, when it was me and a dog, um, those were the best ones. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. How do I know this? Because you weren't there and you can't prove me wrong. Mm, um, yeah, the, the, uh, the early incarnation of what we now refer to as hipsters, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Except with less taste and, yeah. if you can believe, even more pretension. <laughs> Name that solo, Doc. I'm going to say that's Kerry King. And you're absolutely spot on. Well done, sir. Right, I'm, I'm, oh, sorry, go on, Doc. I'm getting more confident. I'm yeah, getting you, more you, confident. You, you, you're getting better and better. You, 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 had, your, you had your little dip, but you, you're back on form. No doubt about it. Jeff, is it Kerry? Can the doctor side? It's got enough tremolo waggling in it for it to be Kerry King, but I'm mm. going to say that's Jeff. 
And it is, Jeff. You, you really are doing very, very well, sir. Congratulations. <laughs> And that's it. That's that's not actually the end of the track. The the runtime still has about 23 seconds to go, but that feedback just maintains and kicks into into the next track. So there's there's no real point in listening. Although I know you love your feedback, Doc. So you tell me if you want to listen to the feedback, we'll listen to it. In fact, why not? Come on, let's listen to it. Listeners, if only you could see the doc's face. He he looks so happy listening to that. Just that the sound of the feedback just makes the doc so so filled with joy. It's a delight to look at. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, Music rarely gets that good. <laughs> <laughs> Just that last 20 seconds the doc's talking yes. about, of course. Um, so, <laughs> so that was uh, South of Heaven. Um, go on then, doc. Hit, hit me with some thoughts. Um, before I do that, I'm going to finish off the previous thing we're talking about. Uh, it'll take less than two minutes, and I, I, I do beg your indulgence. Fine. Um, on the subject of, of, of hipsters and, and bands before they were famous, I once contributed um, a joke to a real, actual Radio 4 situation comedy. Ooh, okay. Um, I was passing acquaintances with um, the gal who was writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I must look at the name of it to put in the show notes. Um, and she was writing an episode uh, which involved one of the characters having to go to a a hipster bar um, in North London. Um, And she wanted a joke um, that would be based around the kind of conversation that you'd have in a place like that. And the one I came up with was that the character, our heroine, would be trying to blag her way, uh, be trying to fake it, and that she'd been into the band for a really long time and got into into a conversation with another girl who who sort of sneered at her and said, you um, you're a come lately, you've only been into them um, since they had a record out. Mm. Um, I saw them um, across the road, round the corner from here, uh, a year and a half ago, um, and you weren't at that show, uh, at which point our heroine retorts, you can't possibly know I wasn't at that show. Uh, how do you know I wasn't there? Uh, and her interlocutor replies, because I was the only person who was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Unless you'd mastered the power of, in, of invis- invisibility, you weren't yes. there. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 so I think that was a lightly fictionalized version of something that I probably actually said to someone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that track. I absolutely love that track. Yeah. Um, all the way through, there isn't mm-hmm. one part of it that I don't think is actually fantastic. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm, um, I don't think I'm spoiling too much, and I'm not even going to say it because I don't even think you're going to need to ask me what, uh, how many loquescent swords I'm going to award to this song. Sure, yeah. Um, it's got simplicity, uh, melodicism, 
Um, it's got some fantastic tremolo wiggling mm-hmm. um, during the solo. It's got a noisy solo. Um, it's got perfect pace. It's got blistering drumming. It's got lyrics, which we'll come on to in a bit later. Mm-hmm. And it's got 35 seconds of solid feedback at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Slayer had asked me to advise them on making the song that I would like, I couldn't have done a better job than what they did with that one. Sure, sure. And uh, I, echo, I echo everything you've just said there, really. And, and I will just add on top of that, you know, just, uh, you know, just this, this, this total change of direction, I think is, you know, uh, courageous, uh, and, but indicative of, you know, the, the, the confidence that, that, that they've gained by this point in their career. You know, they're now, what would it be, like five or six years into their, you know, professional recording career. This is their fourth album proper, fifth proper release. Is, is that right? Yeah, fifth proper release, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And <clears throat> yeah, I, I think there is a mastery to this track that, the you know, as good as everything we've heard before was, you know, they, they, they've clearly reached a new level here, haven't they? Um, in so many ways. The musicianship on display in this track is not in any way more advanced than the musicianship that was on display in um, Hello Wait. Yeah, save for the drumming, I would say. Save for the drumming. I think the, I think the drumming is next level. Um, it is, but I'm, I, would, I would still love to hear... Um, I'd still love to visit an alternative universe where I could hear those first two albums recorded with enough time and enough budget. Mm, mm. Um, what we're benefiting from here um, is a lot more chance to, I think what we're hearing is the benefit of being able to have a lot more time to rehearse in some decent facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of progress that only happens when um, a band are successful enough to be able to quit their day jobs and concentrate on their music 100% mm. and concentrate on writing and practicing. The recording is very competent. The recording is very good. Yeah. It still doesn't sound stupid expensive to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, it, but it, is, it is clinical and precise, isn't it? You know, you, you, you can distinctly hear absolutely everything. I mean, you, just, you know, just thinking about Dave's drum kit, you know, the, the clarity... Of, of every single component of that kit is clear is clear to hear in a way that not it wasn't even that sharp on rain in blood and, and certainly not on show no mercy and hello waits um you know the we talked about the the like the inconsistency of the production values between different songs certainly on the first two albums not certainly not not on raining blood because that is consistent but even on raining blood we, we i think the track itself we you know we, we, we spotted a couple of points where there, there were apparent kind of fluffs on the guitar um no sign of anything like that here it's all gone it, this is this is perfection yeah so i think what we're hearing is just the ability to afford more time in the studio. Yeah. Uh, the ability to, you know, nothing that will change your sound radically, but uh, it's it's obvious to me that Dave's got a much better drum set. Yeah, oh, for sure, yeah. I'm, while you talk, Doc, I'm just looking up, actually. I'm going to look look on Wikipedia and see if I can find out how long this took to record. Keep, keep, keep entertaining us, sir. Don't worry. I'll do it in the background. Yeah, so... Um, 
Other things I feel as though where you can tell that money has been spent. And the microphones used in the recording of the drum kit mm. uh, are much better than, um, I suspect they've gone from a 24 track studio to a 48 track studio. And I suspect that each drum was recorded onto a separate tape track. Sure, okay. Um, I'm still not picking up any evidence of overdubs or at least not really, really obvious overdubs. When you say overdubs, are you, are you talking about you know, like a third guitar track, something like that? That would be one example of it, yeah. um, which is obviously a bit of fraud and you'd spot that immediately. Yeah. Very often what bands will do is just play the same guitar part two or three times just to, um, to get it thicker and heavier. Mm-hmm. Um, this never got worse than um, in the late 90s when, um, you know, crushing brutality and monstrous heaviness became the most important thing. Sure. And you know, people would people would tune, would, would, would detune to E um, and do 24 overdubs of the guitar part. Yeah. I, and I really, really despise that, 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 that the sound of that kind of production. I think I think it becomes really muddy. And, you know, there's no clarity to it at all. And ultimately, I, th- I think it renders all bands effectively sounding the same. And, and, and so, you, you know, you, you can't really tell them apart. Uh, whereas with this style of production, you know, I think, I think you could play me five seconds, you know, of this album. And I would instantly be able to, it, and even if it was like a not particularly memorable part, I could just, well, that's Slayer, just, just based on the, on the sound of the guitars alone. Yeah, and I mean, I, I've I've heard this from people who were there, even though I wasn't. Um, and by the late nineties, you got the situation where um, the latest bunch of spotty kids with baseball caps and baggy jeans would go into a studio with a corn album, and they'd go, "Give me that sound, you know. We we uh, we want that sound. We want yeah. it to sound like that." Yeah. Um, you know, whereas previously, generally speaking, bands would be horrified at the accusation that they copied somebody else's sound or they sounded like somebody else. Mm. You, you know, nothing fills my heart with dread more than when I, um, you know, go to listen to a new band and discover that they've got, you know, like like a seven-string guitar. I, I go, oh, my, you, you sod off. It's problematic for a whole bunch of reasons. Mm. Um, by the time you do that, you may as well just have a bass. Haven't you? Well, exactly. I mean, that, that, that's my you know, one. Yeah, exactly. One, you know, why not get an extra bass? Have two bass players if that's what you want to do. Um, yeah. So, I mean, for instance, the, um, of all the bands to bring up in this conversation, that's what Ned's Atomic Dustbin did. Uh, you know, you know, what I thought you were going to say, Doc. I thought you were going to say Barathrum because what, didn't they have two bass players? <laughs> uh, yeah, but the difference is that Barathrum are awesome. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, 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 no, remind me of, of their of their of their big hit, if you could, Doc. If you remember, <laughs> um, it's 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 war metal, mate. It is um, war metal, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the one where the lyrics go: Demon, Passover, Chaos, Disorder, That's right. Blood, Anon. <laughs> Absolutely fabulous. I'll, I'll drop that in without hesitation at this point. Brilliant.
those who don't know, um, Barathrum are one of those bands who you suspect um, listen to a live bootleg um, of Motorhead made on a pocket tape recorder in 1977 and sat there stroking their greasy beards and came to the conclusion, you know, this is kind of cool, but it's too much of the musician and the production is much too polished. <laughs> That's right, yeah. That's fabulous, the fabulous barrister. But you were talking about Ned's Atomic Dustbin, perversely. <laughs> well, just, um, perversely because... Um, if I remember the story correctly, um, they one of their guitarists wanted to detune further than his guitar would go, so he just bought a cheap bass guitar instead. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that, that's totally logical, isn't it? Totally logical. Uh, any further points, Doc, before we get into the uh, the meat of the words? Just, I, I don't even have enough words, um, and we don't have enough time for me to keep going on about how much I love this track. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think we feel pretty similarly. We'll leave it there and get into the lyrics. Just before we move on, um, Barathrum's other big hit was The Blasphemer. That's right, I knew there was another one. I am the blasphemer, I am God of Fire, I am the blasphemer, I will blaspheme. Brilliant. <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah. I will blaspheme. Yeah, great. What's the fucking um, lyric, the most endlessly awesome thing about Barathrum is they've um, they've got one syndrome trigger um, attached to uh, one of their toms. So whenever the guy hits this tom, it doesn't make a disco meow sound. It triggers a thunderclap sample every time. <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassed from later, I think. That's, that's, really, that's really, really cheered me up. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh, dear. Welcome to part three of the show, where we look at the lyrics. What I've done, Doc, I've broken it down into six separate portions, if that's okay with you. Um, so... An unforeseen future, nestled somewhere in time, unsuspecting victims, no warnings, no signs. Judgment Day, the second coming arrives. Before you see the light, you must die. Okay, Doc. What are we thinking here? Um, this is a completely new lyrical style and a completely new lyrical structure for Slayer um, mm. that is used quite a few times on this album. And it's a series of seemingly unconnected statements 
um, in the manner of, I would say, an Old Testament prophecy. Sure. Um, it's tense neutral, um, mm-hmm. but it's referring to things that have not yet happened. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We've obviously got a, we, we've obviously got a bit of a cutesy Iron Maiden reference right there in the first line. Oh. You know, I, I've never thought of that, Doc, and you, you are spot on. What year was Somewhere in Time? It must predate this, haven't it? I think Somewhere in Time yeah. is, yeah, 86, 87. It must predate it. Yeah, yeah certainly. Um, That's a great yeah. spot. Yeah, I, I, I just think that, I, I thought that was just very charming. Uh, yeah, presumably deliberate because, you know, you know, particularly Kerry loves his maiden, so. Yeah. Surely. You mentioned that, like, the new lyrical style here. And uh, the interesting thing is, this is the first track where the lyrics are solely credited to Tom Araya. So maybe that's the reason, Doc. We've got a new writer. Um, but, yeah, uh, that would make sense of absolutely, yeah. Um, you might even say, like, a, a, um, a new prophet has come, if, if, if we're sticking with that analogy. Um, we've, we've, we've been through the sort of the... the the era of Abraham and the first two albums, we've, we've been through the era of Moses and now we're sort of, a, 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 a new prophet has arisen um, yeah. with, um, who's not merely content to comment on the past and the present, um, but begins to make prophecies about the future. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold that right. yeah. Um, Hold that thread. This verb here, nestled, that's an intriguing choice for me because if I think of like the word, the word to nestle, you know, it's, it's quite a warm, friendly word, isn't it? You know, like the, the baby bird was scared of the cat, so nestled into the bosom of its mother, something like that. You know, or, the, you know, the, chi- the, child is, the child felt cold, so, you know, the father said, well, just nestle under the quilt, darling, and you'll be fine. It's a, it's a warm, yeah. safe word, isn't it? It can have the connotation of being kept warm and safe and cosseted. Mm-hmm. It can have the connotation of literally being in a nest, as in an egg which is not yet hatched. Sure, yeah, that's clearly the, the derivation of the word, I, I, would, I would imagine. Um, and I, I think both of these things apply, and I think the connotation we're meant to take from it here is the, the unforeseen future. It's the future which has not yet happened and has not yet been blighted by history. Slayer take a pretty gloomy view of world history now, don't they? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, when Iron Maiden write about world history, they like to write about mighty civilizations and glorious battles. Yes, absolutely. Um, when Slayer write about world history, they write about the Black Death and the Holocaust. Our, our first entry into the Slayer cosmology, the Slayer mythos here, um, is that history is um, a pretty bad influence. Um, and what's exciting about the future is that it hasn't happened yet, and it, 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 it hasn't been touched by these the sort of the, the the toxic influence of the present. And I, I think that's a theme that, that I will touch on as we go <coughs> through these lyrics, because I think you know for me that's almost the theme of the track. If we look at this, uh, not really on the same subject, but let's, let's move on to the second line here. Unsuspecting victims, no warnings, no signs. Now, I think this is a little, I think Tom's being a bit sarcastic here, you know, Doc. I think, I think, I think he means the opposite of what he's actually saying here. I think he's kind of suggesting that we are the victims, but there are 
warnings. There are signs, and we should suspect the the horrors to come. That's my interpretation of it. I, th- I think he's taken yeah. this. Are we meant to... It, could we say, then, that um, he's using the word um, unsuspecting basically to mean... Um, Ignorant, I would say. Self, self-willedly naive. Sure. Um, sticking your fingers in your ears That's and it. going... Uh, you know, um, see no evil, hear no evil, so therefore there can't be any evil. That's it, ostrich uh, head in the sand kind of business. Yeah. Yeah. And being, uh, just being ignorant of the signs that are all... And, I mean, that's that's supported by this third line. Um, judgment Day, the second coming arrives. Um, all world religions have a concept of a judgment day or a day of atonement. Mm-hmm. Um, when the guilty will have to answer for their crimes and the innocent will be rewarded um, sometimes. But um, is it the second coming of Jesus or is it some kind of second coming of like, the, the dark one? The, 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 that's my question on this third line, you know, because I, I don't think this is an optimistic song at all, as you seem to be suggesting. I, th- I think this is a song about the horror of the future. So that second coming would surely be the, the you know the second coming of something diabolical and eldritch. Right. Um, I'm going to pursue your theme of sarcasm here. Um, yeah. So the second sets up this concept, unsuspecting, so willfully ignorant victims who are ignoring the signs. Sure. And then pretty much, uh, and pretty much you've got quotation, and then pretty much Tom puts quotation marks around these next two lines. Um, is this what you people think? Judgment Day, the second coming. Oh, really? Is that what is, is that what is that what you've deluded yourself into thinking is going to happen? And and, and you could carry that on into this fourth line, couldn't you? Before you see the light, you must die. It's almost like what a ridiculous idea! How can you believe such a childish thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And any other thoughts on this on this first uh, couple of couplets? No. Um, in- not at the moment. In keeping with this new style of writing, there's some foreshadowings in here which we'll pick up later in the song and then even later on the album. Okay. Here we um, go. In my opinion, each one of these lines yeah. is a foreshadowing of a different song. Mm. Yes, you mentioned this last time in the last episode um, that you, you feel that the lyrical style on this album, certainly, and maybe on the next couple as well, is like the, almost like the first few lines set up the narrative of the rest of the track. Yeah, I, I, I think it's in the style of something like the book of Ezekiel, sure. um, where you'll, you'll have a series of bold statements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on in the book, you, you'll, you'll get expositions of what those statements mean. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if that were true, because, you know, Tom, Tom has spoken about the fact that he is... Uh, you know, at heart, a religious man. We've spoken before about the fact that he always says it with a bit of a glint in his eye, so he can never tell quite how serious he's being. But, you know, but but I'm pretty sure he's read the Bible cover to cover. I, you know, I'll go that far. Yeah, um, I mean, um, someone with... Uh, am I right? He's, he's of, of, of Chilean descent? He is, um, yeah. Yeah, I think his parents were Chilean immigrants. I would imagine he's from solid Catholic stock. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. It would be surprising if not, wouldn't it? Yeah. Let, let, let's go on to the next four lines. Um, 
Uh, forgotten children can form a new faith, avidity, lust, controlled by hate, the never-ending search for your shattered sanity, souls of damnation in their own reality. Um, now, for me, the forgotten children are us. We are the forgotten children. What, what, what do you think about that? Um, I think um, you, you made the inference a few minutes ago when we were talking about Tom Araya. Um, mm. I think there's at, at least one um, respect in which we can think about the, uh, the forgotten children as being um, the children of refugees. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. OK. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, people whose parents may have deemed it expedient to try to escape from a South American country in the grip of a fascist dictator. Mm. You know, mm. people like mm. that. Yeah, the, the, those kind of folks, yeah. <clears throat> um, can form a new faith. Let's follow that theme. Let's follow that theme. Um, the dream of the South American Catholic paradise having failed, um, these pious Jesuits presumably have now wholeheartedly embraced the American way of life. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I can buy it. The, the way I look at this new faith, though, is... You know, we are the forgotten children and the new faith is the is you know, like lust, which, which comes up in the next line. Lust and greed and avarice and sexual depravity. You know, the, 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 these are the tropes of modern society that Tommy's kind of railing against in a way here. I don't think you and I are contradicting each other or disagreeing for a second. OK, um, the, the, the new faith, um, mm. the. Um, the pious Jesuit values of 19th century South America have been left far behind. That's uh, it. Yeah. Have a, um, unregrettingly um, embraced, embraced mammon, uh, embraced American values. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it, 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 this word avidity, Doc, were, were, were you familiar with this, with this word? Because I was not. I had to look it up. Um, no, and I'm not familiar with it now. So I've looked it up and it's the, it's the noun form of avid. So, you know, if, if somebody's like an avid fan, so avid is the adjective, yeah. of course, and we're all familiar with that. Um, and it's just the noun form of it, basically. So, it's, so it's, you know, it's the enthusiasm, we could say, like fanatical enthusiasm of something. Yeah. Um, so I suspected that. And then I also suspected that I was probably wrong. And then I began to suspect that I'd been misusing the word avid my whole entire life. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, Basically means enthusiastic, doesn't it? Yeah, super enthusiastic, like like obsessive almost. Like an avid fan would be like a like a really keen, enthusiastic fan of something, wouldn't it? You know, I am an avid fan of Aston Villa, for example. Yes. Yeah. We, we, um, yeah. I always think of avid as being a notch or two more sane than fanatical. Yeah, I would agree. Yes, it's just like a couple of degrees down, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think we agree there. Um the never-ending search for your shattered sanity, um, you know, and so we're all kind of, we're all lost, we're all um, adrift, and, we, and, we, and we're searching for, you know, for something, um, and, and this is all caused by our, our, our kind of decadent, evil Western ways, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's embracing cognitive dissonance. Um, <laughs> Would any of the members of Slayer choose to give up their American life and go back to being South American peasants? Mm -hmm. um, 
let's go back to the very beginning of the very first verse uh, and, and this, this, this statement nestled. According to Freudian psychology, people have a desire to return to the womb. Yeah. But when actually confronted with the possibility of doing that, no, of course you wouldn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a, a nostalgic attachment to some imagined long lost age of innocent paradise. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't actually want to go back to primary school tomorrow now, would you? No, no. Uh, you know, I sometimes have, you know, daydreams about sitting on a beach, a rocky beach, so not, not, not a sandy beach, like a pebbly beach, sitting on, sit, sitting on some rocks by the ocean, somewhere warm, with some palm trees in the background, an acoustic guitar just gazing at the ocean, that's my life. And that sounds idyllic, but of course the reality is, you know, after a week or so of that, I'd get a bit itchy, wouldn't I? I'd, I'd get a bit twitchy, and, I, and I'd want to do, so. I'd, I'd need some of the kind of stimulus um, yeah, and I suspect that's why drugs are popular in Thailand. Yeah. Um, ah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, we, 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 <laughs> we mentioned Alex Garland last week, and that, that, that subject's come back again. Um, what seems idyllic and simplistic and bucolic from a distance mm. um, gets boring really, really quickly. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, um, and, the, and, and the last line here, Doc, you know, souls of damnation in their own reality. It's a repetition, really. It's, uh, that's just us again, isn't it? Uh, us living in our corrupted society, basically. Well, it's a bit of slave mythos that we haven't heard from for a long time. I don't think we've heard about it since close to the end of the first album. And it's this conflation. It's this conflation of damnation and mental illness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we commented a couple of times that in... Uh, in the Slayer Mythos, um, there is there's, there's no difference between damnation and madness. Yeah, and, and is that use of the word reality that kind of tips you in, in that direction, isn't it, Doc? You know, their own yes. reality. You know, they yeah. you know they start raving mad, and and, and non, they're all a bunch of fantasies, basically. Um, but that's talking about everybody. Yeah, everybody oh, yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody starts staring mad. Everyone's cut off from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is everyone is damned in their own little private personal hell in their own reality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very very bleak statement about uh, the state of human existence. It is. And anything else from your uh, from your fetid mind, Doc, for the for these four lines? Um, I'm reminded of an essay by Anne McCarthy um, about Toshio Meda's highly disreputable film Orotsuka Doji. Oh, yes, yeah, very, very, that, that's the um, tentacle penis movie, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, at the end of the essay, she says, uh, Maida leaves us only with, with, uh, only with the possible saddest conclusion. Um, attempts to remain in the state of childhood innocence are doomed to failure. Mm-hmm. Equally doomed to failure are attempts to move on and grow up into some kind of imagined maturation because the maturation which is imagined turns out to be as venal and despicable as anything you might encounter. Sure, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty fucking bleak. Yeah. Chaos rampant in an age of distrust, confrontations, impulsive habitat. What do we make of this, Doc? Um, it's more um, Old Testament prophecy um, kind of stuff. 
Um, I feel as though age of distrust is a reference to something that I, I, I should recognize. I think something such as age of distrust, age of panic, it could be a reference to the fact that Slayer are old enough to remember the early 70s and the announcement of the dawning of the age of Aquarius when everything was going to become perfect. Well, I, um, I had that kind of thought. When we have age of, I think normally that co-locates with either, with either Aquarius or innocence. And I think Tom's just kind of corrupted that a little bit. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a much more specific reference that I, I, I feel as though I should be getting. I feel as though there's a legendary hardcore album or um, a legendary hardcore band called Age of Panic or um, oh, Age, Age of Something. Oh, I um, see. As yeah. first line, I, I, I feel as though I've got the idea in my head. I feel as though it should be a direct reference to something. Mm, mm. Confrontation, uh, see if, I mean, for me, that's just, you know, an obvious um, comment on you know, war, murder, rape, you know, all, all, all of the horrible, aggressive things that happen in modern, well, in, in society in general, but, but I think Tom here is focusing on these things in modern society. Well, it's, it's um, line by line, it's a repudiation of the hippie ethic. So the hippie ethic would be um, peace, uh, well, the, the, the hippie ethic would be understanding, mm -hmm. um, peace, mm -hmm. Um, and we'll say tranquility. Sure. Um, in contrast to which we have chaos, distrust, mm. confrontation, and then this really interesting line: impulsive habitat. What mm -hmm. do you make of that? Well, I think the habitat is is our kind of is our society, the world in which we live in our in our kind of decadent Western way, and the impulsive bit is you know the fact that we can't help ourselves, we can't control ourselves. You know, we we, we have to be greedy, we have to be lustful. We have to gamble, drink, take drugs, all of these things that, you know, if, if done to excess are incredibly negative. Um, habitat is an unusual word to use about uh, for, uh, for one's lived environment. I Do agree, but, but, it, but, but I, I think he's making an illusion there that, man, that we are animals. That's a very good point. Mm. I think it's a joke on the word habit as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. An impulsive habit like smoking or gambling. Or, yeah. Yeah. That's a really, really good. I think both points of view are equally valid there, aren't they? Uh, well, I don't think it's both. I think it's all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's um, he's using the word habitat as opposed to environment mm -hmm. um, to remind us that we're animals. Mm -hmm. um, I think the habitat is considered to be. Um, it's not even compulsive, it's impulsive, um, mm -hmm. because it's an animal instinct. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, I think you've got this play on words, um, on the word habit in there as well. Sure. Yeah, I like it. <coughs> I like it a lot. Um, should we move on to the next section? Bastard sons begat your cunting daughters, promiscuous mothers with your incestuous fathers, ingrate souls condemned for all eternity, obtained by... Now, I have to be honest here. I can't make this line out properly. In the version that I've found, on, you know, on, on Encyclopedia Metallum, I also checked it just on like Google lyrics. It yeah. says immoral. But when you actually listen to him sing it, it does not sound like he's saying immoral. It sounds like he's saying moral. 
I'm a bit torn here because, of course, that does make a difference to the meaning obtained by either moral or immoral observance, a domineering deity. Um, Let's context will help us here. Yeah. You've got these first three lines um, is, is straight out of Ezekiel or mm -hmm. is straight out of one of the Babylonian captivity era prophecies. Um, and it's 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 a vision of a wicked city. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, this actually reads more like an extremely obscene version, uh, but the style here reads more like the Quran than the Bible. Um, so the, the, the bit in the Quran, uh, where it, um, it talks about, um, Sodom and Gomorrah, mm. um, and it begins with, um, we beheld a wicked city where <clears throat> all these terrible things, um, this sort of very high religious, high Abrahamic, borderline hallucinatory, almost psychedelic style of writing, mm. where the prophet will just ramble on for lines and lines and lines. I beheld this and I beheld that. Mm. Uh, and you know, then later in the, um, it gets to its high point in the book of Revelation. You know, I, I, um, I beheld uh, a beast which was seated upon another beast and the beast had seven heads and 10 crowns. Mm. And it absolutely barking mad, like... <laughs> Um, whatever he's been sticking under his tongue, can I have some of it, please? Well, I was going to say, it, it, it's almost as if they, 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 whoever wrote it had been taking the same mushrooms as the guys that were talking about the burning bush, you know, um, yeah. speaking with the voice of God. Um, and I have to add as well, you know, that, that use of the word begat, you can't use the word begat without, without invoking um, Genesis, can you? It's, it's impossible. Yeah, and... Um, the word begat, um, I don't know what, um, I don't know what the original Hebrew was. I don't know what the Greek was that that was translated into, but when something ends up in the English begat, um, it's very specifically for a line of Kings or yeah. a line of prophets or a line of important people. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah, it, it, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a bloodline, isn't it? Basically. Yeah. It, it's, um, it, demonstrates or elucidates part of a lineage. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. This person begat this person. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's, it's invariably used to establish a link between, um, let's say, um, King David being the ancestor of Jesus. That's it. And what, what about this word cunting? I've never heard the, 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 I mean, of course I've heard the word cunt, but cunting, it's so fucking, it's so profane, isn't it? It's so objectionable and aggressive. Um, it's from The Exorcist. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Remind me, Doc. I, I, I've completely forgotten that. Well, uh, in the scene when Regan is self-harming with the crucifix, yeah, uh, and her mother basically says, uh, stop that, and um, Pazazu says, the sow is mine. Mm -hmm. um, and then says something about, like, um, that she's your cunting daughter. You know what she did? Your canting daughter. Yeah, I mean, now you've said it, of course I remember that. And I'll, I'll drop that scene in here, in the edit, of course, because it, it's always worth having a listen to that particular um, extract. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's a particularly provocative line, particularly when it comes out of the mouth of an adorable little eight-year-old girl with yeah. sort of buttable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe more potent than coming out of Tom Araya's grizzled visage. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, you know, this next line is 
I'm going to have to repeat myself. It's something like the description of um, the city of Sodom or mm. um, like one of those places that, that God chooses to flatten with fire and salt and stuff. Mm. Um, Unusually judgmental for Slayer, as well, I would say, this line. We've, we've talked before about the fact that they normally discuss their topics in almost like neutral terms, but, you know, promiscuous and incestuous, they're loaded they are loaded words, aren't they? The loaded adjectives. Assuming they are actually talking about people. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can assume for a second that um, the Old Testament prophets weren't actually always talking about real historical events that actually happened. Yeah. Um, they were talking about um, moments of existential doubt. Mm. Um, and mental anguish. They weren't literally talking about a city that was known to have existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so what could this be metaphor for? You know me. Um, you know I'm likely to jump on anything that I can possibly squeeze an economic metaphor out of. Go on. Um, well, bastard sons begat your counting daughters, promiscuous mothers with incestuous fathers. Um, it's a description of a horribly abusive, dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also a description of an economic system. Mm-hmm. I've got no idea what you're talking about, don't you? You're going to have to help me out. Promiscuous mothers with your incestuous fathers, bastard sons, begat your kind. Um, I think you can view it as a metaphor for the whole process of merger, uh, mergers and acquisitions, mm-hmm. um, seeking monopolies. <clears throat> um, so the point in economics where relationships are no longer healthy and productive, um, they're mutually destructive. Um, I'm possibly pushing this a bit too far and I'm going to stop now. I wanted to mention it because I wanted to give Slayer a bit of an out for what otherwise seems a bit high-handed and preachy and a bit judgmental for them. Sure. Um, but, but I mean, it, I think it, it does feel judgmental. Um, I th- in a way, I, th- I think the whole track is a little bit judgmental, you know, because, because the way I read the whole track is this condemnation of modern, decadent Western society. So, you know, so that, that kind of judgment is, is almost like baked into it, basically. Um, I think he's I think he's using these kind of biblical um this biblical vocabulary and, and biblical invocations um, add that kind of sprinkle of the Slayer mythos to it, basically. You know, it, 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 it's grander, it's more kind of mythological than, than just the, the, the prosaic world that we live in. They're, they're, you know, there's something more, more mystical going on. But, 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 I th- yeah. but I think in reality, the track is, is just about our world and how corrupt and broken and decadent it is um here's an extra diagenic question which might help us out here were slayer personal friends with sepultura yet um by this point i very much doubted because i don't think i don't think um sepultura really broke until about 89 90 so maybe this is just like one year too early yeah um it's interesting um because this is the exact same mixture of Catholic mysticism and third world socialism uh, mm-hmm. that you get from Sepultura later on. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's pretty logical, really, because there's no doubt that Sepultura were highly influenced by 
Slayer. It's, it's, it, it is without question. Um, Ingrate Souls, Doc Condemned for All Eternity. Um, and again, for me, that, you know, that, that, that's us, isn't it? You know, that, that we are the Ingrate Souls. We, you know, we've been given this glorious planet, you know, in the West. You know, we, we, we have plenty. You know, most of us have food. Most of us have a, a roof over our head. Most of us have more entertainment than, than, than we know what to do with. And yet we're still happy and we still have to do these terrible things like, you know, like having sex um, and <laughs> taking drugs and smoking and, you know, gambling and all these kind of things. Yeah. And you've got the, um, the odd situation that s- sooner or later, um, the radical denialistic puritanical nature of certain kinds of punk rock bring them really, really close to um, some extreme monastic forms of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let, um, let's have a look at this last line, Doc. In fact, I've made a note of the timestamp, so I'm going to try and find it and see, let's have a listen and see if we can decide once and for all whether he's saying moral or immoral. Let me find it. <laughs> I think he's saying moral, but in, in the versions of the lyrics that I obtained, it's written immoral. I, I think I, I think they're just making an assumption that he's saying immoral because that sounds more like a slayer word than moral. Um, the meter um, supports either sustained by moral observance or sustained by moral observance. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that um, makes me think maybe it's I'm moral, uh, I don't know whether it's by or I, Sustained by moral observance, sustained I moral observance. Well, I don't know the word. What, what's the difference? Immoral or I moral? I don't know. I don't know the difference. I'm just about to get onto. Oh, this. go on. Yeah, it's a mispronunciation. It's a mispronunciation. If it's immoral, it's a mispronunciation. But um, and the, the the technique is called assonance, de- mm-hmm. deliberately mispronouncing something twice to make it rhyme. Sure. He makes the same pronunciation in deity. I know I spotted that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the rhyme basically, isn't it? Um, yeah, but it's um, it's the same mispronunciation. Mm. Um, sustained I moral observance by a dominating deity. You're he's, right. He's yeah, that's deliberately. Um, yeah, you're right, Doc. That's a uh, really good spot to get the meter and the assonance correct. Mm. Um, he's, misp- he's he's mispronounced immoral as immoral, and he's mispronounced deity as deity. Yes, yeah, so it's just to make the words fit the music. That's that's what you're saying. Um, and to uh, to pimp his poetry a bit, to, to to use to use a really neat poetic trick. Sure. Um, and I think precisely to make us have the discussion that we're having now. Yeah. What did he say? Mm, yeah. What's that? Yeah. What, what do you mean? Yeah. Um, should we get onto the last section of lyrics, Doc? Yeah. The root of all evil is the heart of a black soul, 
a force that has lived all eternity, a never-ending search for a truth never told, the loss of all hope and dignity. Um, go on, Doc, you, you, start, you start this one out. Um, there's something here which, um, and we're into, <clears throat> we're into satanic inversion here because what we've got is something that superficially sounds a bit racist. The root of all evil is the heart of a black soul. Uh, it was a, an oft-repeated statement from the Nation of Islam that the root of all evil is the heart of a white soul. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, but <clears throat> I mean, I was presuming that the root of all evil um, is um, something like a, a quote from the Bible. I don't know. No, uh, I'm, I'm not, not sure about that. I'm not sure about well, that. That was an assumption. I don't think for one second Slayer are, say, are, are attempting to say that black people are the root of evil. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're saying that even for one second. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're taking um, a political slogan that was in the air a lot at the time. Yeah. Um, and I think if they, were, if, if they were spending any amount of time with their label mates, Public Enemy, they'd have heard it said a lot. Sure. But, but you know, it, it, there, there is one other occasion where Slayer um, kind of deliberately change a word to make to, to be kind of racially provocative on the undisputed Al attitude album uh which is the punk is cover. Guilty, of, guilty of being right correct yeah and and the, and the last time he sings it, he says guilty of being white doesn't he yeah which is not in the original version i know he changed it um and it caused a beef between him and ian mckay for years <clears throat> ian mckay being for, for you um, the, uh, the the singer of um, Minor Threat, like Natalie of um, Natalie of Fugazi. Good, yeah, okay, yeah. Also, yes, yeah, so the original writer of the track. Yeah, sure. Uh -huh. um, so, um, I I think that is a, 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 a satanic inversion um, mm. of a political slogan that it was. It, it would have been in the air a lot at the time this album was recorded. People would have got that reference, mm. particularly mm. if you were hanging around with the people who Slayer were hanging around with at the time. Mm. Um, Next line here, Doc, I, I think we've got, uh, you know, we, we're back with the um, Slayer mythology, aren't we? You know, with, you know, nothing ever ends, everything lasts forever, you know, eternity is all. Yeah. Um, normally we hear this sort of couched in, um, and I suspect we're going to a bit later on in this album too. We, we, we hear this couched in, in, in the imagery of the, uh, the, the eternal war. Sure. I think you're, you, you're referring to ghosts of war there, aren't you, Doc? Yes. Yeah, I can't bloody wait until we do that track, let me tell you that. Uh, I mean, the, the, the clearest exposition um, in one go of a pretty big chunk of the Slayer mythos. Mm. Um, a force that has lived for all eternity. Um, eternity, of course, goes back um, into the infinite past, and eternity also goes on into the infinite future. So sure. this is a loop. This is a loop, that, and this is what I meant about a foreshadowing um, <clears throat> in the first line. Um, in the first line, we have this tantalizing possibility um, that, that even though history is corrupt and the present is wrong, the future as yet is unscathed and innocent and nestled. Um, which is then denied by this line, um, uh, um, a force that has lived for all eternity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's valueless to even attach a tense to a sentence containing the word eternity, because eternity by definition is everything that ever was and everything that is and everything that ever will be. Sure, but, 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 but 
could you not um, could so, could somebody not be born now? Let's let's say could a child not be born tomorrow and then live for eternity? So from this point of from the point of their birth and then forever, they didn't have to exist previously, did they? It's the mathematical nature of infinity. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can't subdivide infinity. Mm-hmm. If they if they start if they start living now and live forever, yeah, a tiny fraction of time which has existed up until now sure. becomes meaningless when divided by that much larger amount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're when you do maths with infinity in it, you have the choice between whether things are uh, approximately you have to choose whether things are zero or infinity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, readers may wish to uh, to read the essay The Infinity Hotel Good recommendation uh, sir Yep, good recommendation A never ending search for a truth never told um, What truth is this in, in, in your interpretation Doc? Um, well by definition if it was never tro- if, if it was never told then it's a falsehood mm-hmm. um, It's it's another one of these incredibly bleak existential statements. You poor fools, um, you're looking for meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, don't you realise there might not even be any? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the, way, that's the way that I kind of looked at this as well. You know, the, the truth ne- never told is almost like the, the, the secret to, to, to kind of happiness and, and, and fulfilment and joy and pleasure that we all strive for, but that ultimately, probably, and especially in the minds of, of, of Slayer, does not exist. Yeah, um, I take I, I take a slightly more hopeful reading. I take a slightly less bleak ending. Mm. Um, if you think you're going to find the truth, likely that will lead to the loss of all hope and your dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not to say that the search by itself is valueless. Sure. Okay. Um, you will never. You, you will never find the truth that was never told because by definition it's, 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 it's a falsehood, but you will discover other things along the way. Mm. Um, you, see, you see, the way that I look at this, I think he's more along the, like the bleak slayer line, which is, um, you know, we, we, we're desperately searching for this, this truth that does not exist. And, and as a result of this, we are kind of empty and void inside. And that, and that void, you know, nature abhors a vacuum and so that vacuum is filled up with these decadent, lustful, avaricious behaviours and habits that we are compelled to, you know, to, to, to perform it, it, as almost as like compensation for that void. Yeah. Um, one bit of lyrics we haven't discussed yet, yeah. um, and I think we should now, um, is um, the lyric that forms the chorus and is also the title of the song. What does that mean? Oh yes, oh, yes, I missed that, didn't I? Yes, so on and on south of heaven, that that repetition. Well, what's what's south of heaven? What does that mean? Well, the way that I look at that is. Um, you know our continued, our, our continued poor behaviour. You know, and again, you know, the, the, the avarice, the lust, the the, the decadence um, is inevitably driving us to hell. Um, I have a suggestion. Go on, Doc. 
because I'm obliged by law. We, we need a jingle for one of your big suggestions, Doc. Don't we? I'll, I'll try and find. <laughs> a, I'll try and find a jingle. <laughs> Doc's got a theory, something like that. Um, I am obliged by law at least once out of every two episodes to say the words Gnostic dualism, and that <laughs> needs a jingle. We need a jingle for that. That's true. Um, Gay panic. Yeah. Uh, you know how this works by now. As above, so below. Um, for every mystical concept, there is a prosaic concept. Mm -hmm. If we assume that your explanation is the, the mystical concept, mm -hmm. um, if we can loop back for a second and talk about um, the, the prosaic connotations um, of the early lines where I suggested it might be um, uh, the forgotten children, I believe to be a reference to refugees or the children of refugees. Mm -hmm. uh, I think South of Heaven means South America. Okay. Mm -hmm. oh, the, the, yeah, I, I can certainly take that, Doc. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that for a second, but yeah, I, I, I totally take your point there. So you've got the you've got the children of, of the of the immigrants whose parents originated South of Heaven. Is that what we're talking about? Because Heaven being America. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it, Doc. Actually, yeah, never thought <laughs> of that for a second. I really like that. Yeah, Doc. The doc's theories are sometimes excellent. Uh, there we go. So I'll, I'll put that jingle at the end. Um, I think we're almost at the end of the lyrics, aren't we? That, that is the end of the lyrics, actually. I, I think these lyrics are, 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 are great, actually. And it's really interesting. You know, we, you know, we've, we've, we've kind of dissected these, probably spent 45 minutes or so talking about them. I don't think we really quite agree on what this track is about. Um, but, but, but I think both of us have, have kind of come to some different but you know really really interesting conclusions uh, any, any any closing thoughts on the lyrics Doc? well i'm offering this as an olive branch uh and also as a bit of a joke at my expense i think it's kind of true just um i would urge you to keep this this whole this this, this whole thing of gnostic dualism um in your mind mm. as slayer become more and more accomplished lyricists i think it was always there from the very beginning but many of the songs have um, a cosmological interpretation and a banal um, or mundane interpretation. Sure. sure. Um, and I don't think, I, I think the two things are complementary. I don't think they're contradictory at all. Mm -hmm. I, <coughs> I think maybe, you, you know, you are, I think maybe I am being slightly less generous than you are um, in terms of my, you know, my, <clears throat> my confidence in the fact that Slayer were, you know, were sophisticated enough lyric um, lyricists to to achieve that duality with, with the consistency with which we we, we seem to find it. Um, Gnostic dualism doesn't connote sophistication. Mm -hmm. um, it's a concept you can find in the most primitive and barbaric religions. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, people don't. It's not necessary for human beings to be highly educated and by modern definitions, highly sophisticated thinkers. Yeah. Uh, to consistently think in terms, to, to be able to hold the two ideas in their head at once. Sure, yeah. Um, I'm going to stick with this. I have a little more faith in the sophistication of Slayer as thinkers mm. um, than you do. Um, and we're... We're getting to the purple patch now. We're getting to the really, really good stuff where we we've really got are. a lot of this material to mine. 
Yeah, we really are. It's true, Doc. Listen, we're going to have to press on because we're kind of coming up to the two-hour mark and I have to keep the file size under 150 meg. Otherwise, the um, the, you know, the podcast provider will, will, will have a bit of a complaint. Um, let's move on. Welcome to part four of the show. Uh, here we're just going to give our final thoughts and stuff. Um, but before that, some details. The album was released on July the 5th, 1988. Uh, writing credits for this track, music by Jeff Hanneman and lyrics by Tom Araya. Um, according to Setlist, this was played 1,812 times, uh, putting it in third position. Once they wrote it, Doc, they day stop playing it, day they? Well, um, when you have this track in your catalogue, why would you not start every show with it? Exactly. Yeah, it's it's absolutely true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, first play a pl- uh, was at a place called the Agora in Cleveland on the fourth of August, nineteen eighty-eight, um, and the last play was well, as ever. Can you guess, Doc? Right now, a lot of the Rain and Blood tracks got their last play on the like on on the the Rain and Blood tour, like the recent Rain and Blood tour, didn't they? Well, the, 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 the last ever, I think the last four or five tracks that we've covered, um, they all had their last play at the last ever gig. And this is no exception. And that was the forum at Inglewood. You're kind of half right, because as, as part of their final tour, they played Rainy Blood in its entirety, as well as kind of a separate 10 or 12 track set. Yeah. So, you, you, you know, kind of 50 50. Um, According to Loudwire, Loudwire um, Slayer proved they could play at any speed with South of Heaven as long as the riffs remained extraordinary. Beyond the track's incredible guitar lead, Dave Lombardo is the star of South of Heaven, pacing the cut brilliantly while accenting each big riff with unforgettable drum fills. I could not agree more, Loudwire. I think Dave is the star of the show, no doubt at all. Um, final final uh, thoughts then, Doc. It's been probably 30 years, mm. 30 years since I heard the song for the first time. And I mean, my, my love for it just grows and my appreciation for it just grows. Mm. It's very, very hard for me to imagine an art object or a cultural artifact more perfect than this. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a statement that is. Wow, 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 wow. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think when I, was, when I was a younger man and a little bit more um, full of testosterone, I, I, I struggled a little bit with this album um, and particularly this song, really, um, just because of the, you know, the, 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 the pace. Um, but, you know, but as, as I've matured, as I've, as I've bloomed into the, into the fine creature that I am today, um, I, um, yeah, I, I found a great appreciation for for it. I think it is exceptional. Um, I think it is utterly flawless. There is, I don't. There is not a misstep. The the riffs are simplistic, but epically effective. The opening um, melody is beautiful, haunting, terrifying, and wonderful. And you know, just to say it again. Dave is on fire. I fucking love it, Doc. I'm going to ask you the question, even though it's pointless. Doc, 
many liquescent swords you giving it? Eleven. Eleven liquescent swords from Doctor Liquescent himself. Wow! How about that? Well, I'm going to stick by the rules. But I, I do like your rebellious nature there, Doc. I do appreciate it. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's getting 10, mouldering most schools out of 10. What a song that is, Doc. What a fucking song. Have, have we ever previously given a track, have we ever previously both given a track 10? I think maybe Angel of Death is the only one. Yeah, Angel of Death, I think. Yeah, I think that's the only one. So don't forget, guys, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or, or on email at slatanicvercast at gmail.com. Join us next time when we'll be talking about the second track from South of Heaven, which is, of course, Silent Scream. See you then, Doc. Don't, don't get your hopes up. It's all downhill from here. Downhill from here. It's a load of shite after this. <laughs> See you next time, Doc. See you later. Bye-bye.